Hey everybody, this is Chad Harms, the pastor of Creekside Bible Church. Thanks for taking some time to listen to my latest sermon, a sermon about being a conqueror. It will play in just a minute, but before it does, I want to say Happy New Year. As we move into 2021, maybe one of your goals is to read the Bible more this year. There's something that we do as a church that might help. We are constantly running Bible plans on the YouVersion app for people to read together. If you're interested in being a part of one of those, you can simply go to creekside.me and click on the yellow button that says YouVersion in order to connect with us on one of those plans. I believe that God's word can transform your life. And if it is one of your goals to read it more this year, I think it's a great goal. And we'd love to be able to help with that. So go to creekside.me and click on that yellow button that says version. Again, thanks for taking some time to listen today. I hope that this sermon will help you to learn and live more fully for the glory of God. Uh, this morning, I have, I just think I have some incredible news for you. And I want to start in kind of a negative place just because... For me, it's what makes this good news that we'll look at in, in Romans 8 this morning really, you know, all the greater. And, and you know, as I, as I thought about, here's the big idea. I'm just going to give you the big idea because, you know, we're going crazy here. It's snowing. I, I, I thought, I think that this is the big idea. We have victory over separation. And in this sermon series, we've seen all these incredible victories. I'll bring some of them up in just a minute that we have in Christ. That's what Paul's been talking about in the book of Romans. And he, he kind of builds to this crescendo ending at the end of Romans where we see the word conquerors, which is the name of the series we've been doing. And he shows us in this passage that we have victory over separation, specifically separation from God. Now, if we just say that without you know thinking about separation in general and how hard it can be. I, I don't know that we would be as excited about it as we should be. And, and so I would just ask you to think about whether you have a time in your life where you have been separated from someone that you love or separated from the love uh, of someone you care about. And I think of, when I think of this, two things came to mind this week. The first uh, was uh, breakups. It wasn't the first one I thought of. It was the second one I thought of. But I think it, it illustrates separation so well. Breakups are really difficult. And I think, you know, if, if you've been married a while, you kind of forgot what it feels like to have your heart broken. We can minimize this, but I've tried not to do that, especially when I talk to young people. And one of the things I remember about the feeling of being broken up with. I'd like to say that never happened, but it did. One of the things I remember about the feeling of being broken up with, especially when my first love broke up with me and broke my heart, is I remember feeling that in some ways it felt worse than when a loved one dies. And I know that sounds ridiculous on, you know, first pass, but but the, the thing that made it, you know, in some ways more difficult than the loss of a loved one through death is that when you get broken up with, it's not that somebody's life ended, it's that they have chosen to be separated from you. And so you've put your heart on the line, you've loved them, you've, and, you know, if you're loving, then you've sacrificed for them in, in some ways or many ways. Uh, you've worked for their good, you've done your best to make it work out, and then they say, I don't want to be with you anymore. And that, man, I can remember that pain you know, and the results of that pain so clearly. And then I think, you know, just another 
point of separation in my life. Uh, you know, the first time that really I, I separated from my family, and I was going somewhere good. I was going to southeast Idaho to do some missionary work. I helped out a pastor there named Ken, and, uh, and I remember just leaving, and it was only two months, but you know, it, I don't know, 20 years old, two months seemed longer than it does to me now, but, but leaving for two months for the first time in my life, being separated from my family, and just really the, the sadness that I felt, and also the fear and uh, the anxiety over just being away from people that I love, and, and even more than that, people that I knew loved me and, and would always take care of me. Now, I guess, uh, just think about, if you can, and this is hard, right? This is hard for me. Just think about how difficult it would be, how terrible it would be, not difficult, how terrible it would be to be separated from the love of our creator, the one who created us and sustains us. I know that's so difficult. It's harder, much harder than, you know, imagining a romantic interest breaking up with you or a family member rejecting you and separating from from your life or whatever, but but how horrible would it be if, if the one who created us and sustains us, and, and if you're a Christian, the one that, that you know loves you deeply and passionately, the one that you've given your life to, what if at any point you could be separated from, from him? But what our passage today says is, is that if we are Christians, then we have victory over separation, specifically separation from God. Now, every now and then I say in sermons uh, that my whole goal is to not mess it up, and, and this is one of those passages for sure. Uh, it's one of those passages like where you just look at it as a person preaching, and you're like, this is so good, like I should probably just get up there and read it and sit back down uh, and let people reflect on it. But in large, in many ways, you know, I just, I, I don't trust you to to ponder it and really think about the depth of it. So I'm going to preach, but I don't want to mess it up. In fact, in my sermon notes, the first line in my sermon notes this week was, don't get too detailed. Paul reaches this crescendo of talking about all the victories that we have in Christ, and, and it feels more personal, it feels more direct, it feels more passionate, and some would say that it reflects Paul's emotions as he considers and thinks about and ponders all that he has written to this point. And man, that emotion spills forward in such a way that, that we just got to remember it. We got to embrace it. Here's what Romans 8.31 says. What then shall we say in response to all these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? If God is for us, who can be against us? The beginning demonstrates that Paul is coming to some type of summary statement, and lots of people question, what is he summarizing here? Some say all the way back to 116 through 830, the verse just prior to this, and Paul is summarizing everything he's basically said in the book of Romans after the introduction. Some would say it's just Romans 8, 28 and 29, 30. Others would say you go back to the beginning of chapter 5, and, and it's kind of a summary from that point forward. And I say, no matter what you decide, no matter what Paul is summarizing here, I do think it connects to the very things that we have been talking about in this series, 
and it's such a perfect summary point for us, or it's a perfect time for us to summarize the things that we have seen. We've been looking at all these victories, and I think that what Paul is saying is, you know, what shall I say, what shall we say in response to all of these victories that we have in Christ? Let me read them to you. Victory over sin, victory over death, victory over bondage, specifically from the law, victory over me and my inability to do what I know is right, victory over flesh and fear, and then finally and last week, victory over eternity. We have all of these incredible victories in Christ. And Paul now says, like, what shall we say in response to all these things? He's like, what do, we, what do we express? What should come out of our mouths? What should we say in response to all of these incredible victories that we have in Christ? And Paul points to the reason that we have these victories. If God is for us, then there is nothing that can stand against us. God, a man I love is, if you, look, if you're a Christian, God is for you. Now, if you're not a Christian, God wants to be for you. He, he wants you to come into a relationship with him. And everything that I say here can apply to you today. Everything we read in this passage can apply to you if you'll choose to embrace Jesus as your Savior. And I think you should keep paying attention because there's so many things that, that you should want to have apply to you, mainly that, that you can avoid, you can have victory over separation from God and the love of God. But for those of us that are Christians, I just, just think about that with me. God is for us. <laughs> I was just listening on my drive here today, so it's definitely not in my sermon notes about this this thing on a burnout, pastors and burnout, and I feel so much of that right now, just burned out. It's been a really hard year, and I've been open about expressing that with you. This guy was talking about different stages of, of burnout, and he said that one of them is that you just begin to question whether or not God likes you. You may know that God loves you, but you question whether God likes you, and I think you know, we could frame it this way. We know that God loves us or whatever, but we question whether or not God is for us. And God is for us. God is for you. Now, he says, if God's for you, what can be against you? And well, there's actually plenty of stuff. The implied answer is kind of nothing, but well, I'll explain that in a second. But there are plenty of things that are against us. We've talked about all the things we have victory over, right? Sin, death, bondage, ourselves, flesh, fear, the prospect of eternal condemnation. All of these things are against us in many ways. So Paul is not saying that nothing can be against us, but rather that nothing can stand against us. I thought about sports. I've been thinking about that in the series, mainly because we're talking about victory. But like, you ever, as a kid, like just know somebody who was just freakishly athletic, way better than everybody else. Maybe really tall. I had some really tall friends. Ryan mentioned him in the uh, as a green team member a couple weeks ago. He was like 6'3 when we were 12. Um, and, man, you get those guys on your team, and, and, yeah, there can be people who are your opponents, right? But those opponents don't stand a chance. That's really what Paul is saying here. If God is for you, if God is on your team, then it doesn't matter what comes at you, it doesn't have a chance to succeed. It doesn't have a chance to have victory over you. In fact, you have 
victory over those things. And so sure, sin, death, bondage, ourselves, flesh, fear, the prospect of eternal condemnation, it all stands against us in some ways, or it all is against us, but it cannot stand against us. It can't have victory over us if God is for us, if God is for us. Now, Paul doesn't rely on what he's already said, even though there's a summary in this book to, to answer you know, this question. Instead, he launches into a series of questions. And, and in these questions, he explains so much more to us. And these questions have an implied answer of no or negative response in general. And, and they are so beautiful and so incredible. Listen to this, Romans 8, 32 through 35. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. Who then is the one who condemns? No one. Christ Jesus who died. More than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble, or hardship, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword? No. The, the passage, man, this is, this is incredible. Uh, he asked these questions with the implied answer, no, and they're all so beautiful. And I would just point out that they're all so focused on Christ and what Christ does for us and what Christ, Christ has done for us. Verse 32, Paul basically says, if God sent his only son to save us, he will definitely give us all things. In other words, God's, I'm stealing this from somewhere, God's giving of his son is a guarantee of our blessing. God's giving of his son is a guarantee that God is never going to leave us or forsake us, that we will not be separated from God. If God did the hard thing of sending his son to die for our sins, then man, how much more is he going to do for us? How, how much more is he going to give us all things? All things is basically everything required for salvation. And I love that he uses the verbal form of the word grace. He graciously gives. We kind of have that in English, right? Like we grace people with something, but we don't use it very often. But I love that, that God will graciously give us everything we need for salvation. We have victory over separation, separation from God and separation from his blessings. And we'll see most specifically, separation from his love. In verse 33, Paul returns to courtroom language. He's like asking this question, who can bring a charge against you? And on first glance, we can answer this in a variety of ways. Like Satan could bring a charge against me. Other people could bring a charge against me. And oh, by the way, I can bring a charge against me because I've done plenty of things wrong. I know all the reasons that I'm guilty. But Paul asked the questions within the confines of God's justification. That's a word that you should know by now if you've been paying attention in this series. Justification is the declaration or the making of innocence in our lives. He makes us innocent. And so the question is like, how can anybody bring a charge against the people that God has already made innocent? Uh, you know, it's like Supreme Court has been talked about a lot lately. Maybe that's why it's on my mind. But like, if the Supreme Court has already declared right or wrong about something, then, then nobody has a chance to bring a charge against you. If, if the Supreme Court has said you're okay to do something, then you're okay to do something. And they don't have nearly the power that our God has. And so if God has said and declared us innocent, because he made us innocent through Christ, then we are innocent. And it doesn't matter whether Satan or other people or even ourselves say, hey, guilt, guilt, guilt. We are innocent. Nobody can bring a charge against us that will stand. 
God who judges the universe has judged us and declared us innocent if we are in Christ. Verse 34, he asks, who condemns us? This is the exact opposite of to justify. It means to declare guilty. Who can condemn us? Well, nobody, because the ultimate judge, the king of the universe, the king of all, has declared us innocent. And so who can, who can declare us guilty? If Satan comes along and whispers in your ear, you're guilty, no, I'm not. I have been made innocent by God. God has declared me innocent. You know, even as I think about that, it's not a perfect exa- example because I'm not saying that, uh, that Satan is our brother or anything like that. But, but like, have you ever had a sibling just say, like, hey, you're guilty, you did something wrong? And then, uh, this happens with my kids, right? Like, hey, you know, sibling did this. And I, and I say, well, that's not wrong. Well, it doesn't matter what the sibling says anymore, right? Because I have said that it's okay. The dad has said it is okay. And if our Heavenly Father has declared us innocent, we are innocent. And, you know, and he connects this to Jesus dying, rising again, and sitting at the right hand of the Father. And and I've been alluding to this, but I want to make it so clear. All of this, all of this that I'm talking about is only true because... Jesus came from heaven to earth and he died for our sins. See, we are actually, in fact, guilty apart from Christ. But Jesus came and he paid the punishment for our sins. And we've seen in this that when he did that, in the book of Romans, that when he did that, it's like God condemned that sin on the cross. It's like, you know, we read it at another place that he nailed that sin to the cross. The charge against us, it was condemned. It was, you know, hung there with Jesus. We also saw that, you know, he's the substitution. We've talked about that for our sins. That's really important to understand. He substituted. He paid the punishment for our sins. He made it so that the righteous requirements of the law were fulfilled in us. That is the reason that we can be innocent. And then he rose again, which by the way, might allude to the fact that God demonstrated his acceptance of Jesus' sacrifice on our behalf by bringing him back from the dead And on top of that, he intercedes for us. He sits at the right hand of the Father, and he acts as a go-between for us. The high priest, this is a reference to the high priest in the Old Testament. They were a go-between between God and people, and they made sacrifices for people, and they prayed for people. They talked to God for people. In Hebrews 7, 23 through 25, here's what we read. Now, there have been many of those priests since death prevented them from continuing in office. But because Jesus lives forever, he has a permanent priesthood. Therefore, he's able to save completely those who come to God through him because he always lives to intercede for us. Jesus died for us. He rose again. And now he sits at the right hand of the Father saying, they're innocent, basically. Like, I died for them. They are innocent because of my blood. Jesus serves as a double advocate for us because he died and rose again. And now he sits at the right hand of the Father speaking on our behalf. Not only has the judge declared us innocent, but but Jesus, the king, the supreme authority, the one who sits in heaven with ultimate authority, uh, awaiting a return when every knee will bow to him, that person, that being is saying they are innocent. He is he is our witness, if you will. So the, the judge is declaring us innocent, and the witness who is Jesus, the perfect witness, is declaring us innocent. We are innocent, and nobody can declare us guilty. And then in verse 35, Paul asks, who can separate us from the love of Christ? This is the big question, and the answer is nothing. Nothing can separate a Christian from the love 
of Christ. And then he lists a bunch of struggles. We could list our own, right? I mean, can COVID-19, can the government, can being broke, et cetera, all the things that so many people are facing right now, can it separate us from the love of Christ? Let me ask this one. Can failure, can just you failing, and I think so many people feel this right now, can you failing, I feel like this in some ways, can I, in my failures, can that, will that separate us from the love of Christ? And the answer that Paul gives us is no. The answer is no. Now let me be clear again that this applies to those who are Christians, those who are following Christ, those who have given their lives to Christ, those who believe in Christ, those who have faith in Christ and the work that he did for us on the cross that I've already mentioned. But if that is you, if that is you, then you can know you have victory over separation. We're going to talk about that love that we can't be separated from in just a minute. But first, Paul uh, has this, he uses this quotation from the Old Testament in verse 36. As it is written, for your sake we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. This is a quote from Psalm 44, 22, and the context is, is one of Israel suffering, not because they rejected God or disobeyed God, but because they were living for God. And it, one of the truths of Scripture, a clear truth in Scripture, is that as Christians, we will face hardship. We will face hardship. And some hardships we'll face simply because we live in the already but not yet, as I described it last week. We live in a state where we have blessings from God, but we have not entered into our eternal glory. And so some hardships will just come, but other hardships we will actually face because we are Christians. 2 Timothy 3.12 says, In fact, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. And the people to whom Paul is writing, Roman Christians, a lot of them will face incredibly harsh persecution. They will die in horrific ways within a few years at the hands of an emperor named Nero. And so Paul, I think, wants to remind us, and specifically has in mind, uh, suffering that comes because we are Christians. He wants to remind us that sometimes we suffer because we are living for Christ. When you suffer, you know, as we see in the book of Job, it does not mean that you have done something wrong. It may mean that you are doing your best to live a godly life. Now, of course, there's natural consequences and things like that, but sometimes when you suffer, it is because you are trying to live for Jesus. And, and when that happens, you can ask this question, well, is God separating from me? Is he giving up on me? Does he not love me? And the answer is no. God still loves you. Nothing can separate you from him and his love. I think of, again, I mentioned this book a couple weeks ago, but the Mark of the Lion series. Man, and you gotta, you gotta read these books. They're so good, but one of the great themes of the second book is um, Marcus, uh, one of the main characters. He, he witnesses, I won't give too much away because I've told you to read them and they're so good. Uh, but, it, but he witnesses the death of, of a Christian. Uh, and he's wrestling with whether or not to be a Christian, really. He, he senses a longing in his life. He senses that he needs something. He, I think he has a hint that it is Jesus but he can't get over the fact that God would let somebody that loved him die. That lo somebody that loved God die. 
And, and when we think about that as Christians, we have to recognize that even if God lets us die, there is no separation from him or his love. Paul says in Romans 8, 37, knowing all these things we're more than conquerors through him who loved us. One author said that being more than a conqueror means that we have, we not only have victory over the things mentioned, but God even uses these things for our good, something that we've seen already in Romans 8. I don't know if that's true, but I love how the word is translated. Uh, it's defined as to have victory beyond measure. One author I read said that it is winning a most glorious victory. We have incredible victory. Why? Through him who loved us, because God loves us. You can have, you have, if you are a Christian, and you can have, if you're not a Christian, incredible victories. Not by your own power, not by your own merit, not because you figure it out, not because you've done enough self-help stuff, you know, not because you're special, but because God loves you you. Listen to Romans 5, 8, but God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And then the very famous John three sixteen. for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. We have incredible victories because, because of God's love for us. And one of those victories is simply a victory over separation from the God who loves us and from his love. Paul concludes, and we will conclude our series with these words in Romans 8, 38 through 40. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any power, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. The details aren't super important. Several pairs and then one kind of hanging out there of these things that can't separate us from the love of God. The key here is that nothing, 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 nothing can separate you from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Now just consider for a minute what kind of love that is. The love that is in Christ Jesus. Think about what I've already said Jesus did for you. Jesus loved you so much that he gave up the glories of heaven to come down to this earth. And man, we know about the suffering on this earth, but Jesus knew about it all the more. He faced the regular suffering that you face, and he faced all of the suffering of, of trying, of being, of being the son of God and, and trying and, and succeeding in living a life of perfection and doing the ministry that he did, and then facing death and dying for us. He faced all of that incredible struggle and hurt and pain and difficulty. I mean, he, he faced all of it, and he did it because of his love for you. Now, that's the type of love that we can't be separated from. Paul says in Ephesians 3, 17 and 18, I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, listen to this, may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. Man, for all of us, we, we should grow in our understanding of the incredible love of Christ, of Christ. The New International Commentary on the New Testament says, Our confidence is not in our love for him, but his love for us. 
Our confidence is not in our love for him, but his love for us. And this is the reason that we can know we have, as Christians, victory over separation. It is his love for us. In this passage, there are five convictions about God's providence, five affirmations about his purpose, and five questions about his love. In other words, there are 15 assurances about him. And I think our connection to him, our relationship to him. Uh, The New International Commentary in the New Testament also says this, We urgently need them today, since nothing seems stable in our world any longer. And this was written a while ago. Nothing seems stable in our world any longer. Insecurity is written across all human experience. Christian people are not guaranteed immunity to temptation, tribulation, or tragedy, but we are promised victory over them. God's pledge is not that suffering will never affect us, but that it will never separate us from his love. Ben Witherington III says, No natural or supernatural malevolent forces, even if they are capable of taking the believer's life, can separate the believers from God's love. Indeed, to take a believer's life is to send him directly into the presence of Jesus. The scope of God's love is greater than the scope of the world's powers. We have victory over separation from God's love. We have victory over separation from God because of God's love. You are more than a conqueror in Christ and it is all because of God's love for you.